Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl, that'd be about it. I have failed the sisterhood. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. We're not here to judge. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of Anglophies. And this month, we are taking a listener request from David W., who wanted us to talk about spies, and we said, we like spies. We have things to say about spies, so we're going to talk about spies in fiction. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. I've classified information, thank you very much. <laughs> and I spy with my little eye something beginning with S. Sneaky cat. No, the cats are nowhere to be seen. Sir, sir, um, uh, man, I would be a bad spy. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the kitchen. It's keeping this podcast together. <laughs> Is it possibly a sacrificial avocado? Yes. Yay! I didn't forget this month. <laughs> Suck it, Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that came out of nowhere. He's been held holding that one in for a long time. <laughs> just something you'd like to share with the group, Raiden? It's just that this topic is so full of nationalistic pride, I just couldn't help myself. Because <laughs> Americans have been so restrained on that front. <laughs> I've been very, very good. I've I'm been just, so good. You I'm just going to sit over here. Yes, you sit there and be a hat. Because that's what Canadia does. I recently found out that my great-grandfather had Canadian citizenship for like five months. It's hilarious. Wow, apparently we didn't want him for very long. <laughs> no, I have a copy of his immigration papers where he forswears all allegiance to any and all foreign leaders, but especially Edward VII, because fuck that guy. <laughs> Um, so spies, Britain has kind of a really interesting tradition of um, spies who write. Going There's really not a whole lot of um, employment fields open to former spies that offer any kind of legitimacy other than writing about it, so. <laughs> but even Chaucer had his moments basically spying for the English, on the French when he was in the French court, wasn't he? I mean, probably it wasn't a spy in the way we understand the word now, but... But and back? Yeah, but I guess at the time, diplomat and spy were kind of the same thing. He did his country proud. <laughs> and then wrote body portrait. And I remember being very impressed to find out that Daniel Defoe, writer of Robinson Crusoe, the way I heard it, he actually almost had something to do with establishing English spying as it is in basically known in modern England now. I don't know if that's entirely true, but I think it is true that he was involved in spying. You know, English writers have done a lot for just um, civilization in general. We talked about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle inventing the appellate court. <laughs> and yeah, and now uh, Daniel Defoe has not only, you know, introduced us to abandoned abandoned islands, but apparently was also 
And little tiny people. Yeah. And no, diary you... of the plague years. Am I confused? I think you're confusing him with Jonathan Swift, because little tiny people is Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, that's Swift. Okay, never mind. Did Swift... I do know that I do know that Defoe's spying involved playing a very crucial hand in regards to the Treaty of the Union between England and Scotland. So historically, I know a lot of people who'd be very pissed off at him. I don't know. Did Swift ever spy for Ireland? On Ireland, I don't know any kind of Irish-related spying. I think if he did, we don't know about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Wikipediaing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly not. I know he, he was. I, I do know he was heavily involved in terms of writing about politics at the time. Because when yeah. you're a satire writer, of course, you're heavily played in politics. But I don't think he was actively spying for anyone. Um, there's a. This isn't spying, but uh, in Russia, when the first revolution tried to happen and fail, so this was way before the 20th century when this succeeded, this was uh, a century before that, there was a famous writer, uh, one of the biggest Russian uh, classical writers, who was actually involved in that circle of revolutionaries, like they were all his friends, but none of them told him about it because they knew like he wouldn't be able to help himself and he would put it in his writing. <laughs> so English writers I think are much more capable of being discreet apparently until their service is done then they can't keep their mouth yeah. shut <laughs> you know something about being a writer you've got to write what you know and a lot of them have just taken that very literally Yes, and added a lot more sex Which although from what I've heard Ian Fleming did get it about quite a bit so <laughs> and you we... get it Ian you get it and we have had this fascinating discussion of whether or not Ian Fleming was inspired to write James Bond by a relative of his, and all agreed that we cannot entirely rule it out. Nope. And what it is, is Wikipedia has taught us that Ian Fleming is related to Sir Christopher Lee. Uh, Step-cousin is what Wikipedia called it, and and apparently he even wanted... um, Christopher Lee to play James Bond when the early adaptation started happening, and then we all had this enchanted moment of imagining Christopher Lee as James Bond. And it was delightful. Mm. And it was so much better than anything Roger Moore ever brought to the series. We will get to that later. <laughs> if you're actually interested in learning about Ian Fleming, there was a miniseries made called Fleming, The Man Who Would Be Bond by BBC. Uh, Sky Atlantic and BBC America made it together, and it's basically about the military career of Ian Fleming. And Dominic Cooper plays Ian Fleming. And it was very entertaining. And Dominic Cooper was very dashing. And that woman who played um, Irene Adler in the Stephen Moffat Sherlock plays Anne O'Neill. So. Mm. Cool. I don't know. I think it will have been on BBC America and it will be on some online place somewhere. It I... was very good. It's very, it's, it's, it's very much like early Bond in terms of the tone and the style, which is clearly what they were going for. Um, not quite as um, shamelessly body I heard a rumor of some kind that I think I saw on Tumblr a couple of days ago about Benedict Cumberbatch possibly playing Fleming at some point in the future and I did not click on the link so that is literally all the information I have is that I saw a link somewhere on the internet so verify, take that with however much salt you need to. <laughs> well, according to Denim Geek, he has been offered the role. Okay. 
Um, so the reason we've moved on to Ian Fleming is that the it's kind of chronologically fits with what we're discussing. The first James Bond novel was 1953. So we're talking about post-World War, I guess... Early Cold War. Yeah. I don't... So how... How involved with, you know, anti-Soviet spine were the earlier novels? Was that all they were about? Or were there other political things? Like, the first one was Casino Royale, and then Live and Let Die. Do you hear the nerd shame of people who have not read (laughs) Read the books books. at all? (laughs) I've read some of Bond, but I can't remember which one it was. All I remember is that he smokes and drinks a lot. There's a line of something like, Bond lit his 80th cigarette of the day. That's like a (laughs) little line in it. That was all I could remember. I'm afraid my interest in Bond, and I I say interest, lies in the the most recent free films. Okay, I'm so this might be something that will pique your interest, Raiden. The yeah. Casino Royale audiobook is read by Dan Stevens. No, I'm still mad at him. <laughs> Actually, a lot of the recently they did a lot of James Bond audiobooks, and they've all been read by very dashing British actors. <laughs> See if I can remember. I'm sure Adrian Lester might have been one of them. And the idea of Adrian Lester as Bond is awesome. I will have to look this up because. That, that's really all you need is just someone with the right voice to read out. Damien Lewis did it! Oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome! Um, I love this description of uh, from kind of the back cover of the book of James Bond as taut, tense, and effortlessly, effortlessly stylish. Mm-hmm. The inaugural James Bond adventure. James Bond, I guess, would, is kind of the, at least the, in modern... Um, understanding the inaugural, like a spy fi iteration. And I would agree with that. Spy fi. When people today think of, Bo- well, think of spies, they think of Bond. It's just become yeah. so iconic on that front. Spy fi, for those unfamiliar with the term, is basically these adventures like James Bond where they're, the technologies they use are really basically sci-fi but of course it's it's not in itself a science fiction work but all of the self-driving cars at the time when this wasn't that i guess now technically you could have them even though they're not in mass market but you know the pens that explode into bombs the the watches that do whatever it is they do in these movies everything but tell time yeah. <laughs> um which then leads to a hilarious scene in the second spy kids movie where the kids have a watch that does everything but tell time, but it also tells time. It's amazing. <laughs> Spy Kids is a great franchise. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The first one's really good. The first one's good. The second one's fun because it's got Ricardo Montalbain. Um, I haven't seen the third. The fourth one is Joel McHale, so there's that. <laughs> um... Okay, what's everyone's favorite James Bond actor? Let's go round robin. Raiden? Daniel Craig. <laughs> Kaylee? I'm sorry. Did, did you need me to think about it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually have a favorite. <laughs> You're the one who asked the question. Well, I wanted to see what pick if other people one. had one. Pick one. You have Just to say pick Daniel one. Craig. It's okay. <sighs> Fine, Daniel Craig. <laughs> I don't think you mean it. <laughs> I think the thing about your 
you're always really attached to the Bond from your era in a sense and when, by the time I was sort of growing up I had the, the Bond films that my parents really liked so my parents are big fans of the Connery Bond because partly patriotism partly because he's the first one yep. um, but by the time they actually started the new ones when Casino Royale came around it was kind of at the right age for it and they'd also made Bond something I really wanted to watch instead of it just being that kind of thing that I associated with really trashy night in that didn't take itself too seriously and just spent the entire time making really sexual puns about women like because I remember very clearly watching one of the Pierce Brosnan ones you know the one where Denise Richards plays a nuclear scientist mm-hmm. and her name is Christmas, Christmas Jones yes. yeah. and there's a bit where he's having sex with her and he says yes. I always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey yeah. There's and the one, was... Christmas does come early this year, things like uh, <laughs> Yes, they had that. Yeah. Oh. That's one of the things that I just revile about that series. And then again, it says something about the Craig era bonds, that they're still the least sexist, but they're still sexist as hell. Yeah. Oh, I had that entire spiel about why, if you look at the movies that are not, like, the separate Bond trilogies, but actually Judy Dench's M uh, pentalogy, it's actually so sexist because it basically has the woman come in, it utterly fail, and then get replaced by the status quo men, like, don't worry, we've, we've taken this back. Yeah. You replaced Judy Dench with Voldemort, what do you think is going to happen to <laughs> I spent that entire, I spent all of Skyfall going, He's going to be the bad guy. He's totally going to be the bad guy because that's Voldemort and I know how this works. So I want to rewind back when Kaylee was saying like, you know, your your era Bond is the one, even though for me and Raiden, it's like Pierce Brosnan and neither one of us picked him. Um, it, it, it's almost like people, the way they talk about the Doctor, because Bond is like that. Bond regenerates, right? Like you never restart the series. You always assume that it smoothly flows from the previous Bonds. <laughs> Even when it makes zero fucking sense. Yeah. Um, also, Chris Kazanov played Bond, and I did not know this. I wonder what? where. Yeah, it said so on Wikipedia. He played Bond somewhere. Wikipedia never lies. He played him in... Um, oh. A 1973 BBC TV documentary selected... Uh, so some sort of documentary, Omnibus the British so, Hero. I'm gonna so, say that doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> it, it just has this portrayed by list and it was like Chris Kasanoff. I'm like, Chris Kasanoff, when did he play Bond? <laughs> well apparently these were also T V T V series. Um before the movies got done, they were but basically right after the book came out. Um in 1954, CBS paid Ian Fleming to adapt his novel into a one-hour television adventure. That's not the interesting bit. The, the, the bit that kills me is it starred Barry Nelson as card sense James Jimmy Bond. <laughs> and Peter Lorre as the Schieffer. <laughs> Jimmy Bond. Now that I, that's all I can What? <laughs> if you read um, uh, Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in the later ones in the sort of 20th century era, there is a spy called Jimmy Bond. And it was very always he's called that because Alan Moore couldn't get the rights to actually call him James Bond. And it was just like, <laughs> woohoo, loophole. Okay. Just so, it's so much less suave when you start calling him Jimmy Bond, doesn't it? It's true. I, I love this idea, but, you know, because we all get sucked into the cool, you know, the, the glamour of Bond. But wouldn't you love a movie where it turns out that James Bond is actually the deep... Because he's so flashy, invisible. 
It turns out that he's always actually the decoy and somebody else does all the work behind the scenes. Actually, well, there's, a, there's a really popular theory that because of the sheer amount of collateral damage that he costs, the, the terrible reputation that he gives Great Britain and MI5, that James Bond has to be a double agent. Because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense otherwise. Or just a sheer amount of you know sexually transmitted diseases he's spreading to the women of the world. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Biological warfare is what you <laughs> Oh my god. And also the thing that I really liked about this new sort of trilogy that we have with Craig is it takes itself seriously enough. I think it t- took itself a little too po-faced with Quantum of Solace, which I still actually really enjoy. But it got that balance really well done with both Casino Royale and Skyfall. Mm-hmm. And then it had Javier Bardem's hair in Skyfall. So Javier Bardem in Skyfall is amazing. Oh, he's my favorite. <laughs> he's so he's genuinely really unsettling and sinister, but he's also camp as hell. Uh, he's my favorite. That bit hair of and the Prada suit and just the homoeroticism of it all was brilliant. Oh yeah, the what makes you think it'd be my first time? Oh, oh Mr. Hot. He's just so much fun. I'm so sad that that movie, The Counselor, has ruined my theory that the weirder Javier Bardem's hair, the better the film. Yeah, well. His hair's terrible in that film, and it just, it's a heinously terrible film. Who wrote that movie? Cormac McCarthy. That's it. That's it. Like, I didn't, I didn't actually expect that movie to be any good, because I think Cormac McCarthy is pretentious as fuck, and not actually as good as he likes to think he is. You know, I'm not going to disagree with you there, but I've only read The Road, so... Yeah, I, I, I just got... Like the fact that he doesn't use parentheses. He doesn't use parentheses, he doesn't use quotation marks, he's too good for punctuation. I don't need to work that hard to try and figure out what your point is, and you're using this because clearly you think you're that awesome, and you're not! Did you hear what happened with his ex-wife? No. She was recently arrested because she went on a mad rant to him about aliens and then pulled a handgun from her vagina. <laughs> I want that I'm superpower. Not I'm not kidding. This actually happened. It was re- the smoking gun got the news re- that got the police records of it and everything. And it's like, okay, I need you to write that as a story. Forget Blood Meridian movie. Write this. Oh Just in quotes and quotation marks. Because I want to hear the lines that she's saying as she pulls the gun out of her snatch. <laughs> Do you think right. that does actually sound like something that would have happened in the latter day, like Pierce Brosnan um, Absolutely. Bond yes. You know, like Die Another Day or something with the invisible car and the diamond face and Madonna. Exactly. I mean, that it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that Pussy Galore would have. Or is that a little <laughs> she knows? Well, there's also Xenia on the top. <laughs> um... There's, uh-huh. uh, someone had this great theory that you, could, if you took every line that James Bond said in those movies and had them said by um, someone from the Carry On movies, sort of British comedy institution, it would just immediately sound really dirty. It wouldn't sound um, sexual or charming or anything. It would just sound like someone you want to get arrested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if nothing else, I think these series do show that you will let a lot of people get a lot of things, get away with a lot of things if they're just really charming and good looking. Which is one of the reasons it's so unsettling when Roger Moore is like Bond in his la- latter days, because he's just getting older and older, and those women are getting younger and younger, <laughs> and you just feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing um, Pierce Brosnan wasn't the one with the uh, Gemma Atherton. Remember when she was in 
I guess it was the casino, the Craig Casino Royale. It was Quantum of Solace. Was it Quantum she, of played, she played Agent Strawberry, Strawberry Fields. Fields. And her name was oh. never actually spoken in the movie. I'm assuming it's from the book. Um, in terms of... I don't think the writers themselves came up with Strawberry Fields. I think I think they took it from one of the books. <laughs> I hope so. I don't like to, the idea of the writer sitting around thinking, her name is Agent Fields. What could we call her? Strawberry fucking <laughs> nailed it! Yes! <laughs> and then he will nail it. Yes. But that's, that also shows the trend that you see as much as those films have updated certain, you know, um, societal differences in terms of men and women, you're still going to see at least one woman die in each of those movies. Tragically. Occasionally it's more than one of them as well, and there's very little sort of... Except with M, who at least got, you know, some sort of a mournful send-off. But then there's that other <laughs> woman who, um, spoiler alert, uh, Javier Bardem shoots in the head. Yep. And it, he doesn't seem particularly affected by it at all, despite the fact that he had sex with her at some point. Well, he's had sex with a lot of people. He can't spare emotions for all of them. Very true, very true. Well, the bit in that film, you know where she's in the shower and he just walks in naked to join her? How unsettling is that? Could you, you imagine him just sort of walking up to that shower completely naked with a hard-on to her and then expecting her to be like, oh, yes, please? <laughs> I know it's Daniel Craig, but I'm only allowed to stretch my imagination so far. Meh. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Also, that movie has really beautiful cinematography. And the yeah. fact that Roger Deakins hasn't won an Oscar is one of the greatest travesties in film history. Yep, so get on it, Academy. Only... Yeah, she's doing Angelina Jolie's new movie. Make him Give him an Oscar for that. Yeah. Just, you know, take all those sexy scenes where you see Craig, uh, Daniel Craig naked and just replace them with Christopher Lee naked. Because <laughs> I'm still stuck on that. Christopher Lee now, or Christopher Lee like 50 years ago? I'm just imagining Christopher Lee as Dracula, as Bond. And I'm surprised that nobody has written that sort of crossover. (laughs) I'll allow it. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, just a side question. Your favorite Bond theme? Oh. Um, I like the, um, the garbage one. What was it the called? The world is not enough. Yes, the world is not enough. I'm I'm very partial to Skyfall. I really like um, Chris Cornell's one for Casino Royale, even though it sounds Ooh. nothing like what I expect a Bond movie theme to sound like. It's just such a good song. It is. I have that. Well, I have that one as MP3s. Like I have the Chris Cornell. I have uh, the world is not enough. Um, the Chris Cornell one, the actual credits for that Casino Royale were just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, so well done. Mm-hmm. I also really like um, Live and Let Die. That's an acceptable level of Paul McCartney for me. <laughs> really? I mean, how many of the... No, I haven't heard all of the Bond themes, but they do have a certain style to them that I pretty much enjoy all of them. I don't think I can think of one spur of the moment that I would have called a flop. Not even the Madonna one. Oh, no, no, I would consider the Madonna flop. I kind of like the Madonna one. There is a bit in that film where she appears and uh, Bond's about to have a a fencing match with, I believe it's Toby Stevens. And then she says, no, thanks, I don't like cockfights. It's like, okay. Okay. That's just why I have no patience for you, latter-day Brosnan Bond. I think that's one of the things that you see with these, how these films also reflect the era, in a sense, with the sort of 
the nineties era Pierce Brosnan, there was a very it's a very carefree, very jokey, almost parody like attitude that they have towards this character because at that time, in terms of international relations, yeah, it was kind of a mess, but I don't think it affected uh, Britain and America in the same way that it affected places like, you know, Eastern Europe or Asia, for example. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to the new era with Daniel Craig and Casino Royale, we are in, and we have to say, we're in post 9 11 world. Mm-hmm. And you see the way that that changes everything from action movies to the stories that we read. Actually, if you're watching Lindsay Ellis and Nostalgia Check right now, she's doing a video on War of the Worlds, the Spielberg version. And she talks about how it's very obviously a post 9 11 sci fi movie. Yeah, she's, mm-hmm. she's comparing it to Independence Day, and it's basically pre 9 11, post 9 11, what, what happened to our disaster movies. Um, and you see that as well once you get to TV, which we'll talk about later. But with the era of the original Bond, you've got it's the Cold War, there's communists under the bed, and you see that reflected in a lot of the sci-fi of the time as well. Anyone who's watched the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, for example. Mm-hmm. And as you go through um, the continuing Cold War, which ends about the late 80s, am I right? The very late 80s, yep. early 90s. Like well, you see that by the time you get to the, um, the two Timothy Dalton Bond movies, which many people complained were far too dark and serious, and I can completely understand why at the time you would have that kind of Bond, particularly after you've sat through so much Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. Well, would Timothy Dalton have been, like, the the nuclear scare type era of the Cold War, or what are um, talking a about? A to a Kill is one of his, and I believe that's the late 80s. Oh no, so he's he's this more towards the thaw, I guess. A View to a Kill is Roger okay. Moore, and that's 85. So, no, Timothy I, Dalton I was 87, Dalton 89. Was yeah. Yeah. License to kill. Okay. Yeah, but James Bond is kind of an interesting um, representation of the trend we were talking about of the entire spy genre because they it basically spans the entire spy genre mm-hmm. of the 20th century. Of uh, that you notice that same trend of all of these movies reflect the political climates of their time. Um, let's jump across the pond for a second, but not too far uh, time-wise to talk about North by Northwest from 1959, the Alfred Hitchcock movie, which, even if you haven't seen it, I think everybody knows that scene of Cary Grant running away from the airplane mm-hmm. in that blue suit, that blue suit, that, that's, icon- that's American movie iconography right there. I just, I do love the contrast of James Bond, who's probably piloting the plane, for, versus, like, you know, Cary Grant, who's running away from it <laughs> in the mm-hmm. goofiest way possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the basic plot <laughs> setup, doesn't it kind of remind you of the more, that the, well, I mean, this isn't that recent, but the Will Smith movie, Enemy of the State, the kind of mistaken identity... Well, it does have one of the very common themes of these kind of stories, which is one of mistaken identity. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a spy. Well, you're you're, you're in it now. (laughs) You're Cary Grant. Of course you're a spy. (laughs) Um, Let's see. It was Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint... Um, starting it. Aside from that scene, I know very little about it. <laughs> the mistaken identity. It's a wonderfully classy movie. I think it's very, very Hitchcock in that sense. 
it just it looks good. It feels very cool. I think the, just the sheer amount of charisma that Cary Grant gives off for one thing. And then there's that hilariously um, on the nose final shot where they're about to start doing it on the train, and then it cuts to the shot of the train entering the tunnel. <laughs> I see what you did there, Hitchcock. Yeah. I see it clearly. Yes, and now everyone think now everyone does it, and either thinks they're super super clever, or that they're just being totally derivative. And then people see that shot and go, God, that's been so overdone. Why did he do that? I just, I wonder if Cary Grant was flattered by the fact that Hitchcock compared his penis to a train in size and power, I guess. Probably. I feel like he's quite like that. <laughs> probably. I think he's probably okay with that. Given his reputation, I feel he was he would be on, on board with that one. As it were. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see Uh, my list here kind of jumps forward in terms of western movies so I think this is where I want to mention some what I brought to the table from the point of view of Russian spy genre and really there's only one thing that comes to mind um, and this is a TV movie miniseries from the 70s but set in the 40s um so it premiered in 1973 it's called 17 moments in spring and it's set in the 17 days in the um in the spring of 1945 so really just weeks before the end of world war ii uh it's based on a book uh actually let me see when the book was written the book um Oh, uh, was actually written just a few years prior, so it's from the same era as, as the movie in terms of when it was done. Uh, it follows a Russian spy who's been embedded in the the Nazi government since the 30s and has actually lasted basically the entire 30s and the entire World War II and now just a few months before it ends, and really at this point they don't know that, but you know we as viewers know that, he's almost caught due to uh, a bombing that uh, reveals his, what would they be called in English, like the radio people who helped him like keep connection to Moscow. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has to help. Uh, so it's there's three Russian characters. Um, obviously, this Russian movie, so all the actors are Russian, but the three actual Russian characters in Germany are... Um, the, the spy and the married couple who play his his radio connect who are the two radio connectors and um, this would actually be interesting because I don't remember if the movie ever makes it explicit whether they were a couple to begin with or they were one of those like government mandated couples couples aren't as suspicious and this is something we'll come back to when we talk about the Americans mm-hmm. um, but there's there's uh, either a bombing or an attack uh, that damages the apartment where uh, the, the radio people live in and the husband dies and the wife who's pregnant ends up in the hospital and is revealed as a Russian. So it kind of falls. So at this point she has to be rescued and escape with the baby and she's helped by a German soldier and she ends up actually leaving the country. He dies. This German soldier dies while helping her, but he also him is a single father of a very young child. So she ends up escaping with both kids back to Russia in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's just it was very iconic um the cinematography but especially the, the background narration of it the it did something that no serious movie i've ever seen done since anytime a new character would be introduced the movie would stop and the background voice would tell you about this character as if they were reading like a government dossier of them mm-hmm. <laughs> so you'd get their height and eye color and their personality for you know personality nordic <laughs> <laughs> their rank and well, such. yeah, <laughs> and it would narrate their like their thought processes that they were going through the movie. It was really fun to watch, um, but also supposed to be kind of heartbreaking because the main character hasn't seen the country he's kind of fighting for for like fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Lose his own family and his own wife. There's a scene where uh, he's remembering the last time he saw his wife. He was already embedded in Germany, but this was before the war, so the borders were still open. So she went on a trip, and they were allowed to sit in the same cafe and just look at each other for, like, two minutes. Oh, God. That was the one time he's seen her in 15 years. Jesus Christ. So this wasn't Spy-Fi. This is of the more, uh, despite the kind of the campiness of some of the cinematic choices, this was of the more realistic type. Mm-hmm. And this is, unlike the James Bond ones or the North by Northwest, wartime spying. Mm-hmm. Which, well, I guess Munich doesn't count. I'm trying to see if any of our later movies. Um, oh, yeah. We have uh, things like Zero Dark Thirty. So we will talk about wartime uh, spying kind of in a more modern context. Um, this is one of those classical wartime spying contexts where, so there's not much kind of the the joyful action here but it's and it's not even so much psychological but it's almost like a puzzle movie this really is all about how he's going to you know he has to stay on his toes and he has to try to outwit the the german intelligence who might be on to him by now and and it's very tense and you always have this feeling of you you just hold out like six weeks longer and you're fine you're home with all your medals and, and everything but this more real- what James Bond never has to struggle with as a spy, that actual spies, which are people who are embedded in foreign nations for years and decades, is, you know, how do you come back? James Bond always introduces himself in James Bond. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a running joke of the series. Is like, why doesn't the entire like underground world know him by now? It's <laughs> thrown the other way. But these real spies, it's almost like being an, um, you know, an undercover agent for the in the police right yeah after so this character after he's been a german officer for 15 odd years how does he get used to coming back to a russia he doesn't know because it's not like it stood still and never changed Mm -hmm. um and just get used to well i suppose we could ask putin about that he was a resident in germany for however many years god do we have to and then he came home and just ran the country, so maybe that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Anglofi's guest host, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not right, to wonders yes. for our download numbers. Oh, God. Uh, oh, I don't think it would be the right people we want listening to us. Um, yeah. But one of the things that, um, I mean, Bond in itself, even when it gets quote-unquote realistic, and there are very heavy quotes around realistic, it's pure fantasy. Mm-hmm. Because if Bond was a real person, he would he wouldn't be able to stand because he would be so drunk. Yeah. He would 
probably reek of nicotine. No right. woman would go anywhere near him. He wouldn't be allowed out in the field. And you actually see that covered briefly in Skyfall, where you know M lets him out into the field despite the fact that he is an emotional, physical, psychological wreck. Uh, do you remember, this was, I think, one of the, maybe the last Pierce Brosnan one, where, or maybe the first Daniel Craig, I don't quite remember, but they find Bond after he's been in an accident or, like, almost drowned, one of those things. So, like, he's unconscious and he's been off the grid for some time in the, uh, was it MI5 or MI6, age, you know, medical personnel looking him over going, like, could be him, liver shot to hell, oh, it's definitely him. <laughs> Is that not Skyfall, where he has to go in to test and prove that he is physically able to go out into the field, and he can't hit any of the targets? I remember this as a Skyfall. I remember this as a Pierce Brosnan, where he had to like swim from Hong Kong to the mainland, or some would escape from Hong Kong, something like that. I don't know. But that, I'll say that's one of the things that slightly irritated me about Skyfall is that you have this setup of him. Maybe he is getting too old for the field, or maybe he really his past is catching up with him how is he able to do his job and his entire identity is built around being this you know the wunderkind of the mi5 and then by the end of it it's like nope he's fine mommy issues are gone let's get on with it <laughs> yeah the, just the so main... quickly swept under the rug well i mean there were there were several things that okay i liked skyfall i'm gonna actually finish a thought here at some point i liked <laughs> skyfall i really did there were a couple of things that disappointed me about it one of which was the treatment of M but the other thing was it completely threw the theory that James Bond is the name is just a code name that gets passed from person to person to person and instead established it as his family name and that was just like oh but the theory that the, yeah the 007 James Bond designation just goes as needed. That's no, disappointing. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't even cover what the movie does to Money Penny. Oh God! Oh. <laughs> Why does she have to be downgraded to essentially being a secretary? Why is she the one who's like, oh, maybe I'm not right for the field instead of the guy who constantly screws things up for everyone? Here's what I want to know. It's like she's been apparently trained, and probably the government spent a good chunk of money training her to be a field agent. That is not the same set of skills as a personal assistant, which is actually a very specific set of skills. So, like, they need somebody who'd actually... And this is somebody important, right? This is M, the head of the spy government. His assistant should be somebody who's really, like, suited for that job. Like, they have to have qualifications. Yeah. These are two completely different sets of qualifications. This isn't... You know, us going, ugh, she's a secretary. This is us going, no, this is, a, like, a completely other job. Why is she yeah. doing it? Well, because she's a girl, and that's what girls do. This is the movie kind of looking down on women and on personal assistants and just on Money Penny in general, and it was infuriating. And then there's, of course, um, Silva's assistant lady who Bond has sex with and is shot. Mm-hmm. Whose oh, name yeah. I can't even remember. Is it Bar- no, she's played by an actress called Berenice, I think. I- yeah, I think the actress' name is Bernice in this. I don't know that she. I am uh, so awful that I forgot her name. Did she even get a name? I'm not uh, sure she, she ever. Got a name. I remember she did. Hang on a second, I'm googling it now. Wasn't she? She was very pretty. Oh, she was. Uh, beautiful. Well, they're always pretty. Severine. Her name is Severine. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When the trailer was played by out, an actress called Bernice, so. When the trailers came out, I, I actually for a long time thought that Olivia, Olivia Munn, I think is the name I'm thinking of, was playing her. Is that the name I'm thinking of? Yeah, she does look like her. Yeah, uh, that is the name I'm thinking of. Um, 
she wasn't she literally a slave was she, she a, a sex worker who was like prisoned or something like that? Yeah, and then the, um, the Javier Bardem bad guy literally bought her. I don't know. Yeah, she is not treated well. <laughs> away from James Bond. We keep on coming back to him. He's just so embedded. It's hard to get away from James Bond given how much the he defines the genre. So at least we have an excuse on that front. We haven't even talked about the fact that Mass Mikkelsen's in a Bond movie. <laughs> That's right. He was Le Schiefer in uh, yeah in Casino Royale, mm-hmm. which is when people when I'm telling people, oh hey, Mads Mikkelsen plays Hannibal because it always comes back to Hannibal on Anglophies people. This is how it works. <laughs> this is the made of fail Twilight signal. Ours is the cannibal signal. Yes, exactly. Um, <clears throat> and they go, oh well, who's he? And I say. Have you seen Casino Royale? And they say, of course. Like, I wasn't raised by wolves. (laughs) And I say, he played the bad guy in Casino Royale. The guy who cried blood? That's him. Oh. And then they're all intrigued. The guy who bashed at um, Bond's testicles with a large piece of rope. (laughs) Scratched and punched him. I've got an itch a little bit to the right. Would you? A little bit to the right. <laughs> Everyone's gonna know you died scratching my balls. <laughs> I, I do like that scene where it's like where he goes like everybody's so inventive with torture, but I find that you really don't need to like go that far. You can torture a man quite easily with some basic tools. That is true. That comes in so handy for him later. In his I'm life. I'm just impressed that you don't use King Arthur because you can cover both Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy with one movie. It was on TV last night. <laughs> Seriously, it's such a terrible film, and there are so many good-looking people in it. It's true. Um, so uh, we really have moving on chronologically. Two avenues open to us: is we can talk, continue to talk about films, or go into TV. Um, TV would be uh, shows like La Femme Nikita, and yes, I know it was a movie first. Uh, we're talking about Alias, Spooks, 24, Homeland, The Americans. And then parallel to that is, you know, the modern era of spy movies from the comedies like True Lies to the real, the realism of The Good Shepherd and Munich and then the, the, the really modern era of Zero Duck 30. And of course, there's Tinker Taylor, Raiden. Oh, I tried. I tried. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, well, what so do we want to cover? <laughs> Can we start with True Lies? Okay, let's go movies. Let's go True, True Lies. True Lies is great fun. True Lies is great fun. Um, one of my acting professors in college actually has a bit part. His uh, single line is, oh shit. <laughs> Which is great. Um, I think True Lies sort of is a really good example of the post-Cold War proto-war on terror um, type of genre. It's my movie genre, sub-genre thingy. I can totally word this episode. This is going to be awesome. Um, And that the bad guys are generic Middle Eastern terrorists of some kind. um, But it's, it's. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger at his best, where he's being the the big strapping hero, who's also a little bit dorky and really funny, <laughs> really really funny, and he can tango, so that's pretty cool. 
<laughs> True Lies is great in that it very clearly draws its lines to you know being inspired by well no okay inspired by isn't what i really mean it its characters have obviously seen james bond right because that guy who likes to pretend to be a spy to get women yeah so this this is a movie i have not trusted bill paxton since that movie and (laughs) i have been right every single time this might have really must have really paid off for you with a Yes, it of did. Shield the yes, last it week. did. Yes, it did. Every time. <laughs> I still have trouble telling the difference between him and Bill Pullman. So. <laughs> Bill Pullman is a nice guy. Bill Paxton is a slimy guy. Fun. Done. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's fun to see a spy movie, which is in itself kind of spy-fi because this is obviously not the gritty realism but also set in a world where James Bond obviously exists as a fictional character it's just <laughs> and everybody and everybody knows that everybody else secretly kind of wants to be James Bond except you want to be the girl who survives in the end and not the one who gets fridged so that James Bond can angst for five minutes <laughs> if that well, five is a little bit hopeful <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah true lies is 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 great. But I think, honestly, if you say you don't like it, you're lying. What's there not to like? Well, okay. It ha- like you said, the the anonymous and vaguely Middle Eastern bad guys. There's the- <laughs> on a serious analysis, there's stuff not to like, but it's still fun. And I like how Liza Dushku basically like saves the entire movie with her yep. stealing powers. Powers of teenagers fucking shit up. Exactly. The unfortunate thing with True Lies is that the bad guys are generic Middle Easterners with no real beef other than they just kind of want to blow shit up for no apparent reason. Just because they want to be scary. Um, So it was just sort of yet another brick of Islamophobia. Look... Our new scary people are brown. They're no longer Russian. The Russians can't feed themselves. So it's the brown people who are scary now. Yay. This is what happens when your, your entire genre rests on the fear of the quote-unquote other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now in our political times, and it has been pretty much since about the first Gulf War, the quote-unquote other has been the brown people. Yep. And that continues today with Homeland. Among others, but... Among others. Um... I mean, Homeland is based on an Israeli TV show, which is in which um, an Israeli soldier is kidnapped and brainwashed by the evil Muslims. Yeah. So I when think... you use that as your basis and you change basically nothing about that central idea, and I think the first season of Homeland is a really excellent piece of TV there. It's, mm-hmm. it's well made, they know where they're going with it and they don't know where they're going with it after that which is a shame, because it completely mm-hmm. falls apart but what they do there I think is an example of a great first season of TV show and then we can pretend the rest doesn't exist mm-hmm. but it is definitely a case of your fave is problematic and it, I'm, it, it, you can tell that that TV show is made by the people that made 24 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they fall into the same potholes over and over again but they have new ones to do because um, Carrie Matheson is as fascinating a character she is. She's one who's very easy to get wrong. Mm-hmm. As much as Claire Danes is, you know, you know, she is acting and she's going to let you know it. And she has 
explosive chemistry with Damien Lewis. Like, I would just watch them, like, lie around in bed all day together if I had to on a TV show. They are that good together. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's an example of a TV show where if you're going to do a really great first season, you need to know where you are taking it. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't at all. And they fell apart completely in second and third season. To the point where it was... I, I, it's, I haven't seen a, sh- a, show, a show jump the shark like that since Glee. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, I went there. Um, before we move on to much chronologically, I want to kind of rewind us a little bit and ask, would you guys consider The Manchurian Candidate a spy movie? I haven't seen it. I, w- I think it's very much in the vein of that, that kind of genre, but it also crosses over into a lot of the stuff that you saw in the sci-fi of the time, in terms of that paranoia, in terms of the, oh, the communists are under the bed. Um, it's a really brilliant movie, the first one. I haven't seen a remake, because I think that original is flawless, because Angela Lansbury can do no wrong. Mm. Same so, Angela Lansbury. I've seen the original, but I'm now trying to remember if they ever explicitly stated who she was spying for. Was it the Soviets at the time? I think it was, like, was he shown being brainwashed by the I By the Chinese, maybe? The I can't remember if it's the Chinese or the Russians. I think I remember him actually being brainwashed by the Chinese. But I, I don't know if... To... Hmm. Well, it would have been Korea at the time, wasn't it? Or oh, maybe it was Korea. But, yeah. Yeah, he fought during the Korean War, I believe. Okay. So, it's been a really long time since I've seen this. It's mm-hmm. a great movie. Book. I've seen the... I haven't... Have you seen the remake? Because I haven't seen the remake. I haven't seen the remake. And the reason I brought it up is um, I'm actually am going to Wikipedia because I really want to know what they did in political terms with the remake. Like, who is now the... Let's see. Um, who's brainwashing him in the remake? Because I... I well, mean, I suppose... It would have been the Gulf War of him. Right. That would be the major war of the so time. So again, so. switching to the Middle East, right? Yeah, that More one. brown people. <laughs> there you the, go. The, the reason I didn't watch the remake on top of just because I think the first movie is so good is the thing about... Spoiler alert, but the thing about the original is that you never suspect Angela Lansbury for a moment. She doesn't look like she would be pulling any of that hurt. She's unsettling at times, but you never think for one moment that, that she's going to do that. The thing about Meryl Streep in that role is you immediately know that she's smarter than everyone else on that film. Mm-hmm. She doesn't let you for one. Mo- she wouldn't let you for one moment think otherwise. I, I like Jonathan Demme as a director a lot, but I just that one felt it just it was a case of why remake it. <laughs> then again, I know why you remake it for money, obviously. Yeah, I think it did that well. Well, we haven't seen it, so... And, of right. course, we are the standard. <laughs> we are. Um, yeah, sorry, I backtracked So, back on track. So, True Lies was kind of wackadoo and fun, but then we move into things like The Good Shepherd in Munich, and that starts going into the... Let's be realistic here. Actually, Tinker Taylor. Maybe we should talk about that first, because... <laughs> I'm just <laughs> because you want to yell at me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, no, I guess the other movies. I'm just trying to see what. Well, if the book came out in '74, but the movies. Let's see. Well, there's the 2011 movie. I'm trying to see if there was another one. Oh, f- 
apparently there was a 79 BBC miniseries, but I was always under this impression that there was a much older movie, too. I don't know why. I might have been confusing. It was I don't think there was a movie. The miniseries is pretty much the, the standard bearer of that story. It's Alec Guinness playing George Smiley, and it's, you know, required watching for any Brit who watches TV, really. So I'm, I'm going to go quiet here. I'm going to let Kaylee talk about Tinker Taylor, and then I'm going to let Raiden wallow in some shame. Okay. <laughs> Kaylee, tell us about Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Okay, so Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is based on the book by John le Carre, and it's very much the anti-Bond, where Bond is about the glitz and the high-flying travelling and the seductions. This is about what you actually do to be a spy, which is you become isolated, you become lonely, you have to take yourself out of basically having a good life, having a happy life, even if that means ruining a lot of people around you. And you try not to hurt them, and you end up doing exactly that. So it's set in the 70s, and it's as unglamorous as you can get. And it's based on George Smiley, who is the right-hand man of the of control, the head of uh, what is known as the circus. That's the name they give for British intelligence. And it becomes clear that there is a there is a mole in their midst, and he has to figure out who it is. And they have their code names, which is where it comes: Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. So there's the miniseries, which was Alec Guinness in the 70s, and there's the more recent movie, which was made, it came out in 2011, and featured Gary Oldman as George Smiley. And I love that movie. I think that movie is brilliant. And I'm not doing this to guilt trip you, Raiden. I'm just saying that I think that I, that I, I didn't think it was bad. I, I didn't like it because I didn't, I thought it was bad. I just, we'll get to that. Go on, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One, I love it for many reasons. One, it has a fantastic ensemble. You have Gary Oldman, you have Colin Firth, you've got Tom Hardy, um, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it because he's Karen in Hines, person. Mark Strong. Kathy Burke has a short role in it as well. Toby Jones with a really, John really Hurt. strange Scottish accent. Oh yeah, John Hurt's yeah, of course Basically, John in everybody's in it. Yes. Um, because it's a British movie, of course it's everybody's in it. <laughs> And it's definitely one that shows the more humdrum aspects. And it's such a quiet movie in comparison to something like like Casino Royale, for instance. Mm-hmm. George Smiley raises his voice once in that movie. And the moment he does it, you just know that is when shit is going down. It's... I'm trying to think of a way to put this intelligently because I've been feeling so hard on intelligence with this podcast. It's an incredibly... Te- it's very tense and very anxious movie. Uh, because it's so quiet, you're just constantly waiting for the moment when something is going to blow up, or something is going to, someone's going to be shot, or something as big is going to happen. The fact that that it's not really a movie about big moments, even though they are there, you really do get a sense of how the the legend of being a spy is just completely chipped away. It has a really wonderful script, and it's so beautifully directed. The color palette and the ending is just so heartbreaking and I'm really sad that more people haven't seen it. And also Gary Oldman is awesome and it took him to this film to get an Oscar nomination. And I'm still sad that he didn't win. Mm. Who, who beat him that year? 2011. That would have been... Colin Firth. Was it Colin Firth? I think so. A single man? Was that what it was called? He was beat by Jean Dujardin for the artist. Which oh. I'm, I'm okay with. Oh, okay. <clears throat> all right <laughs> <laughs> i 
I tried. I really did. It just didn't grab me. And everybody's dressed in all of these same gray suits. And I was, was just not in the right mental space to work really hard at trying to keep everybody straight. Even with like the cast list in front of me. I tried. I really did. I see why people like it. And in a different mood, and possibly with more sleep, I don't know. I'll give it another shot, but I just couldn't finish it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I would suggest if you could watch the film first before you take a stab at the miniseries, because it's a very long miniseries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was watching the film, and yeah. Patrick Stewart's in it, Fo. In the miniseries. Hey. <laughs> uh, so, well, Kaylee was the one talking, so what I want to do is, uh, I'm, I've am i seen The Good Shepherd, so we're going back across the pond, and then I'm going to ask Kaylee to talk about Munich. So The Good Shepherd was, and let me pull up the year, so I'm not lying to anybody. Uh, I remember it's mid-2000s. Uh, it's late 2000s. 2006. So, okay. I'm right and you're wrong. And you stand there and be wrong in your wrongness. Sitting. <laughs> well, stand and then sit. No. <laughs> I do what I want, Thor. I do what I want. <laughs> so, it's kind of about the founding of the CIA. It stars uh, Matt Damon, Angelina Jolie. Uh, it was directed by De Niro, Robert De Niro, and he also has a role in it. And actually, the best, mo- the the moment that I best remember about that movie isn't even necessarily about spying, but there is a moment where Matt Damon's character, who kind of grows up throughout the movie because there's some flashbacks, and I think it goes. It's technically set in a later time, I guess in the 60s, when he's already a senior officer, but it flashes back to his youth and how he worked his way up. And he's talking to a character who I want to say was part of the Italian mafia, who who looks at Matt Damon's character and, and kind of... And, um, says something like, you know, well, we have our families and the Jews have their traditions and the black people have their music and lists all the uh, various um, non-white ethnicities and looks at the, the waspy Matt Damon and goes, and what do you have? And Matt Damon's reply is the United States of America. The rest of you are just living here. Oh. And I feel like that line is such a perfect encapsulation of that particular attitude. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's why it really stands out in my memory. The other storyline I remember is that his character was in love with a woman who was deaf. He was, she was a fellow college student. They met in college. And he was really in love with her. And, but he ended up marrying a sister of a friend because that connection would help his career. Um... So it, even though it was about spies, it seems to seem to reveal more about early to mid twentieth century American cultures and prejudices than anything else. At least that's what I remember taking away from it. Uh, 
And if I remember correctly, like the the latter part of the movie, so the bits set later on in time is about uh, him already being a senior CIA officer, but his um, son being a very young one and involved, I want to say, in the Middle East, but it could be... um, No, in the 60s, it's after the Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba, so it could be in Cuba. Um, Let's see. Um... I remember being like I it's been a long time since I've seen it so but I do remember like quite enjoying it and thinking of it as a good movie so if that if the period in American history interests you I definitely say watch it it's I don't remember it being so much of a spy thriller though it could be wrong that could be just the parts that didn't grab me uh, but it's certainly an interesting look at a at a, a realistic look more realistic look at American spy culture what the CIA was and FBI kind of were really about in their inception and how they ended up being used. Um, and I guess in some ways, all of these movies, when they aren't just glitzy spy fire, are kind of an exploration of patriotism mm-hmm. and the lines you cross in the name of it <laughs> and the sacrifices you, you make in the name of it. So I remember that movie actually doing a fairly good job um, for that you know, for those uh, concepts, exploring those concepts. Mm. Uh, Kaylee. Well, the thing I remember most about that film is that Matt Damon and Angelina Jolie just never age. There's no <laughs> where Eddie Redmayne is introduced as Matt Damon's son, and Matt Damon has not, there was not even like a speck of grey in his hair or something. And this movie had a massive budget, and I'm just like, Robert De Niro, could you not have at least attempted to make him look a bit older? It just—it was it's one of those things that I couldn't quite wrap my head around. I didn't—I I like the film. I don't love it. I think one of the main issues of it is the entire family subplot, because Angelina Jolie is Matt Damon's wife, and she's supposed to become this sort of like boozy, bitter matriarch by the end of it. And it's like you're Angelina Jolie. I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> and I'm just—I'm not interested. I was just not interested in hearing about how his family life has been affected by, it. even though there is a relatively interesting part involving his son and the woman that he is in love with. Who is disposed of in a really shocking way. Mm-hmm. I won't spoil it, but it's, it's pretty. I, I gasped watching it. But it's well, it's definitely worth a watch. I think it does have a very interesting take on definitely patriotism. There's a couple really plodding moments. It's about half an hour too long, but it really does capture an era in that way, except for the fact that nobody ages, and also everybody's in that movie. Everybody's in, all the British actors are in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and all the American ones are in The Good Shepherd. It's like William Hart and Alec Baldwin and John Turturro and Joe Pesci came out of retirement just for it. Lee Pace is in it for a brief moment. Eddie Redmayne's in it. Hmm. So that's another one for your, um, oh, I know that actor drinking game. (laughs) And Munich came out actually the year before in 2005, but took us all the way back to the 70s and I think is one of the few movies and TV shows we're talking about that's based on real events. I guess um, Zero Dark Thirty Bean is going to be the other one. Uh, I I remember you saying you liked it, Kaylee. I think I remember you talking. I think it's an extremely well-made movie. I think it's a reminder of just how good a filmmaker Steven Spielberg is. We tend to get a little bit caught up in the big blockbusters he does and sort of forget how much craft goes into those works. So when you see him scale down, and it's not really scaling down because this is still like a you know, $70 million movie that he's made about something that's hugely politically fraught. But I think he handles it with a deafness that you don't see a lot from really big mainstream Hollywood filmmakers. 
cough, Michael Bay. The <laughs> community is about the Israeli government's retaliation against the Palestinian liberation group after the massacre at the 1972 Olympics, where um, a number of people died very, very gruesomely. Wikipedia it, says 11 members of the yeah, Olympic team uh, and a German If you're interested in that, there's a really interesting documentary made about that by Kevin MacDonald, which is... It plays like a thriller. It's hard to believe it actually happened. And I think the moment that you decide to tackle anything about Israel and Palestine, you have to step in and say, okay, how are we even going to touch this? Mm-hmm. And for his credit, I think Spielberg did did a pretty great job. It's another one of those movies that can be very quiet and tense at times. It also has a really weird sex scene, but we'll skip over that. <laughs> but there's a just... There's a, a, a humanity to it, I think, for lack of a better term, a really pretentious term there, that you don't, you certainly don't see with something like, like Bond. Bond is about the, the gadgets and the girls and the suits and the, the guns, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is really about the crushing misery that this creates and how your humanity is stripped out by doing a job like this. And I think this one really did take the time to at least paint a picture of the people that are involved, even the ones that the Israeli government are going after. Because that so easily could have just been political screed. And granted, mm-hmm. this isn't an area of history and culture and politics that I'm 100% informed about. But from my own sort of very novice knowledge, I think that this is one that they did very... I don't want to say fair. I think fair is a very loaded term. But all things considered, I think that they did it. It's definitely one that steers away from being about hurrah nationalism, particularly because that's something that you see a lot in anything related to to the Israel-Palestine issue. The the Mossad operation was called Operation Wrath of God. Yeah, that's... It's one of those cases. But there's a lot of really great is not about. something Mossad really does, is it? Yeah, no. Oh, apparently there was a 1986 television film called Sword of Gideon about it. Oh, who made that? That might have been... Is that an actual Israeli film? Uh, no, because it says it was first shown on CTV in Canada, so... Apparently Canadian. Wow, I did not film this, but then I didn't leave in Canada at the time, so... Um, yeah... That's interesting. There's a lot about Munich that's really well done. One thing great team, Eric Bana is a brilliant actor, and I'm sad that he doesn't get more chances to show that. Daniel Craig's also in it. Um, it's pre-Bond, so... Um, the script is written by Eric Roth and Tony Kushner, who he later worked with on Lincoln. And I love Tony Kushner. I am a huge fan of Tony Kushner, and Angels in America in particular. So I'm always really excited to see what he does on film, where he's not allowed to be as experimental as he is on stage, but he really knows how to craft narrative and a, a structure. Mm-hmm. And it's a long film. It's two and a half hours long. I think it's over that, actually. But, I mean, there are a, moment, a couple of moments where it drags, but I feel like it drags a whole lot less than The Good Shepherd did for me. Uh, it's a slightly related uh, question, but did you, have you seen the 2010-2011 movie The Debt? No. Is that the... The one Helen with Kieran Hines and Helen Mirren, and then they flash back to their younger selves and yes. some operation that went kind of sideways. And I'm 
gleaning all this from memories of the trailer because I never saw Absolutely. it and wanted See, to. I haven't seen it either, but the reason I said related to the Munich discussion is that this is also about Mossad agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does. It has the, the original operation in the 60s where the three agents are played by Jessica Chastain, um, Sam Worthington, and Martin Chokas. I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. And then as adults, so Jessica Chastain is played by Heron that character is played by um, Helen Mirren, and then let's see, Sam Worthington is now played by Karen Hines. Character is played by Karen Hines, um, and Tom Wilkinson is the one who plays the third one. So basically, it's the '60s operation, and then then in the '90s, it's the fallout. Mm-hmm. And it's and I think it's about uh, in the '60s, the Mossad agents were attempting to bring um, a Nazi war criminal to justice, and things went wrong. And there you go. So, but the, I mean, the actual list certainly sounds good. So if this era of, of spy um, kind of real, um, this one I don't think is based on real events. Uh, it is based on a, on a film, on an Israeli film, uh, 2007 Israeli film. So if this, but if this kind of genre um, of spy events interests you, that's another film to add to the list. Um, let's Okay, so Zero Dark Thirty, and I actually want to leave Jason Bourne last because I have a thought about it that ties it together with the other Okay. Movies. And this is why Alina is the queen of the segways. <laughs> so, Zero Dark Thirty, and let me bring up the time, was 2012. What did it win? I'm trying to remember if it was Best Picture or Best Director. Best Director, It didn't right? win either. I mean, oh, with... Catherine Bigelow won for The Heart Locker, but this one yeah. was considered snubbed generally by the, by the Academy. But it was yeah, a she wasn't. It wasn't even nominated for best director. Mm-hmm. No, but that was the year Ben Affleck wasn't nominated for Argo either. Yeah, which you can kind of make a comparable point on those films at the time and how people liked Argo better because it wasn't tied into something incredibly recent that mm-hmm. everyone knows about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure whether Argo kind of counted as a spot. I guess if you wanted to, you could. Yeah, kind of. Somewhat, somewhat, a little bit. But, um, I mean, Raiden, I think you're kind of being the American of the group is the best one to talk about Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Well, I've, seen t- it. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> um, Raiden can talk about the American public's reaction to it, though. Like, the context it came out in. Right. I mean, it, it was about the operation to get Osama bin Laden that was ultimately successful. And it came out a year or two after that operation happened. Um, So when it first came out, there was kind of a sense of, yay! Oh my god, less than a year, I think? Oh no, wait, more than a year. She was writing and developing the movie as the actual raid on the Bin Laden compound was going on. So she was basically the first one outside of, you know, government and media and stuff to get in there get the details so they could actually finish the movie. No, it was a year. Sorry, I was, uh... I didn't look at the years. I was just looking at the dates. But, yeah. So there was... There was initially kind of a sense of, yeah, this movie is about how we got him! And then, somehow, like, even before the movie came out, the the narrative turned into this, oh, this movie isn't totally pro-drone strikes and 
everything and it's not 100% rah 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 America so therefore it's shitty and terrible and bad or it's totally pro everything that is bad about America so it's shitty and bad and you shouldn't see it Um, because we no longer live in an age of nuanced discussion where you are either 100% for something or 100% against something and never the twain shall meet. And it was weird. Mm. I'll say this. I'm currently looking at a poster for this, the tagline for which is the greatest manhunt in history. And that tagline does seem a little, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, like promo the monkeys. marketing was really, the marketing of the movie was quite, I think, clumsily done. And it also didn't yeah. help that you had certain political journalist jackasses cough, get it in, Glenn Greenwald cough, who went out of the way to talk about how this movie was like you know, rah-rah, pro-torture and the issue is the, okay, the, issue, the film was being developed while the, the entire raid and operation was still going on originally they were going to make the movie and have it be they didn't get Bin Laden because that hadn't happened yet but by the time they were actually getting on with this movie Bin Laden's actually dead so there are moments in the script where you feel like they haven't entirely put together the narrative in a coherent fashion. There is torture. It's not glamorized at all. It's extremely painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the that, connection that, was, that you get is yeah. that one of the, the people that is um, under quote-unquote enhanced interrogation is gives information that leads in some way to Bin Laden. And, and from the documents that have been released, that has been shown to be false. That never happened. So torture didn't help anything and I think that that's what people were concerned about I don't think the film is pro torture and I really don't think it's pro wow we killed Bin Laden we're awesome because the the film by the end of it the woman who Maya played by Jessica Chastain who was the woman behind all of this she just loses it emotionally she spent her entire career giving up everything about her life in order to do this job and by the end of it she's like well what do I do now Mm-hmm. She feels hollow and empty, and this has kind of taken it out of her completely. She's seen friends die because of this. Friends who had family, who had loved ones that were left behind, and she doesn't have that. Um, the people that are the, the entire raid itself on the compound, it's quite a long scene, it's about 20 minutes, and it's tense and it's hard to watch because there are children in that compound, and there are women, and collateral damage happens. Mm hmm. There's screaming and there's crying and there's, you know, why have you killed him? And all of this happens. And you actually see these moments where the soldiers who are initiating the raid have this this look on their face of, is it really worth it? Mm-hmm. I think it's a far more nuanced film than Jackasses like Glenn Greenwald, who I really hate and I just want to get it off my chest, gave it credit for. And I'm sad that it didn't do better because I think it is actually Bigelow's best movie. I think mean, it's mm-hmm. better than The Heart Locker. And I think it's better than Argo. By a long shot. But hey, Argo has, you know, wow, Hollywood saves the day. So, of course, people like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Argo also, I think this is sort of off-topic, but I think the the brilliance of Argo is that you know how this story ends. Like, you know, they get out and everything's fine, even if you don't know that the, you know, the random chase down the runway didn't really happen. Um, But... I was still like crawling out of my seat going, are they going to make it? I don't know if they're going to make it you know, until actually I knew, but, but Affleck was able to ratchet up the tension so much that, that I had a very emotional, yeah, oh my God, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up <laughs> type of thing, which you know, I think is, is fairly impressive for a movie where you know the end. 
I think Affleck is a very strong director. I don't think that's his best work. I think that's Gone Baby Gone. But mm-hmm. I, I have issues with that movie as well, mainly the fact that, you know, Ben Affleck's character was not white. Mm-hmm. And of course he gives himself the plum role, and I'm sad that more more people in Hollywood didn't kick up crap about that. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like in ten years' time when people ask in the year that The Master and Life of Pi and Beasts of the Southern Wild and Zero Dark Thirty were released, what film won Best Picture at the Oscars? And it'll take them a moment to think about it. And I'll be like, oh, I don't know, it must have been something. I'm sure I saw it. And then mm-hmm. they'll be told this Argo and they oh, I quite like that movie. And then they'll never think of it again. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I said um, that Jason Bourne, I'm leaving it to last because it ties these things together, is that I actually feel that these movies, and this is not, you know, a cap to the movie spy genre because, you know, I think it's a pinnacle. It's, I think this series attempts to marry spy-fi to realisms, realistic spying. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it succeeds or fails is up for debate. But hear me out. So with Jason Bourne, which um, are based in books that uh, I'll just inside, I haven't read them. I remember picking it up and reading the first bit of the first book. And um, in tone, it was very different to the movies. So if you've seen the movies, haven't the books, but are interested, be prepared for a different experience. But the movies, um, they, they seem to attempt... Um, a more realistic view on on the spy so because this isn't james bond you know he doesn't he has multiple identities and you know caches of passports and money and the the secret missions aren't really that glamorous you're basically murdering people so it has those bits that are the buzzword of our of our generation gritty Mm-hmm. But then it has the spy-fi elements of, you know, the secret programs and brainwashing. And then the Jeremy Renner one goes completely off the rails in that direction. But it just goes... Awesome. I'm not saying it wasn't awesome. I'm just saying it, it, it looked at the fork in the road and went full steam ahead at spy-fi. And, and it wasn't quite steady on the rails. No, that's true, but it was still fun. <laughs> but that's why um, I was saying that these movies kind of tie the two together. Um, and I would say that they kind of there's a clear line of progression in these movies from realism to spy-fi, whereas the first one has the least to do with the science fiction elements of brainwashing and secret mm-hmm. um, texts and sciences, where obviously the German runner one is kind of just completely steeped in it. But even the 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 other two Jason Bourne ones. Um, the Matt Damon ones really started going into the whole, well, what was the program and what was the brainwash? But in terms of cinematography, it keeps on trying to stay with the, the realism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the flashiness of James Bond. But it does have the dead girlfriend that makes him feel sad for two minutes. It's true. And that's... Although I guess they can blame the books for that. I think that that happened in the books too. I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. One of the things I really like about, not so much the Born Identity, but the other two, is Paul Greengrass really did revolutionise what we consider the standard bearer for action film directing. Mm-hmm. I mean, shaky cam galore, but in terms of putting you in there in the action, I don't think any director has been as influential on that front since, unfortunately, Michael B. The only difference is I like Paul Greengrass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, it gave us Julia Stiles being awesome. Mm-hmm. She's always awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
I think the Firstborn movie definitely was sort of her bridge from teen comedy to serious actress person. What is she doing right now? She should be doing everything. She's wonderful. To IMDb. Julia Stiles. Uh, apparently there was a TV series Blue. Okay. I don't know what that is. Um, she was in Silver Linings Playbook, which I haven't seen. So. Um, yeah. And then a, a slew of post-production movies in 2014. So she's doing something. She's, she's okay. working. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, so these are the movies. And then we have a line of TV shows. And, you know, as I'm putting the TV shows together in my head, I feel like in all of these movies, you know, how many of these protagonists were men? Practic- none, I think. Like, just straight up none. You mean women? Sorry, women, yes. They were all men. They were all, all men. Enough. How many of them were all women? I do not know. Why. <laughs> <laughs> um... Now, okay, La Femme Nikita was a, was originally a movie, and I haven't seen the original French movie. And can just let me get this out of my system. This is, in fact, a male name. Okay. And kind of, I want to say, almost a dowdy one. Like, this is very old-fashioned, deep Slavic roots male name. So I don't know how it ended up on a woman. I, I do. It ends in an A. <laughs> you know how many times that... I have been misgendered as male because my name ends is unfamiliar and ends in an N. I imagine male. It has happened my entire life. If it ends in an if it ends in a vowel sound, then Western people will generally automatically code it as female. That's how. That's why Misha ends up as a female name. Fair enough. <laughs> so the the TV shows, you know, we have. Nikita, which I have, I've seen the 90s one with Peter Wilson, and I love it! I love it so much! Um, and we have a kind of a spiritual successor of Alias. Um, I mean, Homeland has, Claire Danes as the protagonist, right? Yeah. So, a much bigger female presence. Now, of course, this, these also in, include Spooks, or MI5. I'm actually not sure which one's the British name and which one is the... I think or, MI5 is the British name, right? Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Which which is kind of a team show. Um, and there's also, I know, is the show where Keely Hawes and Matthew McFadden met. It's also the show that began my Matthew McFadden crush. Which is only reasonable. I've seen the first season of that. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have... I mean, episode... despite in, like, episode three having a woman die by having her head shoved in a vat of acid. Which is kind of upsetting. <laughs> 24 and the Americans. So the 90s La Femme Nikita uh, had this kind of... It, it was spy-fi and it had this dark... I don't know. How do you describe the, the dark shows of the 90s? Like It has a very specific look to them, don't they? Yeah, they, they did. Um... And this was, I believe, a partly a Canadian production. It had, certainly had a, a lot of... Um, Canadian actors, the actor who played Michael. Haha, uh-huh, be still my bitty heart. <laughs> Let's see, what was the what's the name of the actor who played Michael? Uh Roy Dupuis. Um Nikita was play, played by Peter Wilson, so I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Peter Wilson. How many seasons did it run? It was five seasons, ninety-six episodes. Um uh, 
I don't remember the later seasons that well. And honestly, the show kind of just one big jumble in my mind just because it's been so long. But I just remember loving it. <laughs> Definitely, if you are of the generation that hasn't seen it but did see and love Alias, go back and watch La Femme Nikita. You will probably really enjoy it. Um, this is the one where Nikita is kind of randomly pulled off the street <laughs> by this super secret spy organization, which has all these technologies and abilities to make her into a super spy. And they do, and she travels around the world being a super spy with Michael, who is all sexy and French-Canadian and is her handler, and it's, it's great. And this has these shady side characters like Operations and Madeline. And... I don't know. It was, it was just really enjoyable. It, I, it's a really good example of t- a spy fi on TV. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen the remake. So I really don't know how it did. Raiden, have you seen any of it? No. Nope. I saw ads because I think it was on before or after um, one of the other... 90s grim dark adventure shows that I really liked. Mm. Well, apparently there was an American remake of the original Nikita movie <laughs> starring Bridget Fonda. It was called uh, Point of No Return. It was done in 93. The original Luc Besson movie was from 1990. It was a French movie. Um, and it's not based on any book, so that movie is the, the, the origin of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alias itself is probably like the one, the formative <laughs> spy TV show for me. And Alias has that J.J. Abrams, the, the, it suffers from the J.J. Abrams syndrome. Whereas, wherein he creates this really great mystery and it's, you wonder where it's going and, and what was behind it all, but he has no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and and J.J. Abrams' problem is he doesn't know how to write an ending. Mm-hmm. And Alias is one of those um, serious finales that will piss you the fuck off. Piss me the fuck off. I remember that. <laughs> but the ride was very enjoyable. You'll enjoy it while it lasts. You just won't enjoy it when it ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that Alias did a really good job of sort of trying to not make the enemy offensive. Um, Because it wasn't necessarily any one country that's the bad guys or any one race. It's just random conspiracy Mm -hmm. type of thing. At which point you can sort of tell the exact moment where J.J. Abrams starts pulling things out of his ass. (laughs) But yeah, it was of everything J.J. Abrams has ever yeah. done. He has no idea how to end a story. It's like Stephen King. Yeah. I, <laughs> I will admit, I own a Who's Your Spy Daddy t-shirt because Spy Daddy is my favorite. You yeah. love Spy Daddy. Yeah, the performances are all a lot of fun. And then you realize that Academy, what two-time Academy Award nominee Bradley Cooper is that one dude from Alias. No, not that one dude, the other one dude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and it will also scratch your I need a spy story with wacky wigs and disguises itch. Um, it's in a very weird 
I guess, coincidence, the Michael character in Alias is also called Michael and is played by an actor called Michael who's French. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a law. <laughs> there is. I can't tell you about it, though. <laughs> you might be a Soviet spy. I don't know. You don't know. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, we actually are going all on modern TV shows, but would you have considered the British The Avengers a spy show? Kaylee, was it a... I mean, I don't actually remember... I remember the way the show looked and the characters, but I really don't remember their adventures of the week. I don't remember if they were spy adventures. I've never seen it, so sorry. <gasps> you I have know. failed your nation. You failed the sisterhood. You failed the sisterhood. <laughs> but Diana Rigg in the cat suit and Diana Rigg in the bowler hat. Steed and... and okay. Avengers, not 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 that those Avengers. I know they're, it was considered an espionage story, but I think it was more a sort of like slightly more parody take on it. It, it really was much more comedic, um, and it's the reason why the Avenger, the Marvel Avengers films in the UK are called Avengers Assemble. Mm-hmm. Also, not that anyone ever called them that. <laughs> also, there is. An Avengers film based on the TV show that came out in the 2000s that stars Uma Thurman, and please do not watch it. I think Ray Fiennes plays Steed in that one. Don't watch it. It is Ards in it as well. Don't watch it. Watch the original TV show. It's it's very fun. And Diana (laughs) Rigg wears a cat suit, and she's fabulous. (laughs) Um, MI5 slash Spooks. I can never remember which one the Canadian TV used. I think Spooks. And then I looked it up, and and, and the two were kind of used interchangeably on the interwebs, and it confused me, but it had Matthew McFadden, who is Mr. Darcy from the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice, for those who haven't seen the TV show. And uh, yeah, that one is a, can be a little bit grimdark, as Raiden has mentioned. <laughs> yeah. But if you hang on long enough, Richard Armitage shows up. I haven't hung on that long, but it did run in Canada for quite a few of its seasons. <laughs> or basically forever. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's that one is. I can't remember. There's nothing particularly spy fi about it. Like, I don't think it has any of those secret spy technologies. This is a. Yeah, so this is more in the realism end of the spectrum. Yeah. Although unrealistic use of CCTV and that kind of thing. Yeah, the, the regular, the usual suspect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do remember it has, like, CAA characters. American, oh, yeah. who, are there, who are there legitimately like, and oh, I remember that actress's name. I think she was the one who played Darlow and Angel? Julie Benz? Yes. I think she's the one who plays um, a CIA agent on Spooks. I'm just, uh, I might be wrong. I think I'm wrong. Never mind. I think I'm probably wrong. Um, But yeah, that happened. It was... It was another blonde actress who I apparently, whose name I apparently don't remember, but who I have, whom I have seen in TV shows. <laughs> um, Twenty Four. So, is it weird to say I've never seen an episode of Twenty Four? No, because I've never seen an episode of Twenty Four. I've thought seen of... three episodes of the first season, and all I remember from that is that it's really, really annoying. <laughs> it's really, really what? The the daughter I'm... in the show, who's played by um, Alicia Cuthbert, is very annoying. For all the accusations that Zero Dark Thirty got about being really conservative pro torture, you know, you need to start labeling that shit to George W. Bush's favorite TV show, which was 24. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. They're bringing that back. They are, and I'm not sure why. Because it's set in London, and I don't know why, but all I know about it is it's set in London, and that the Prime Minister of Great Britain is being played by Stephen Fry. Okay. So I'm down with just that element. I'll I'll watch those scenes and nothing else. So I wonder if, is Kiefer Sutherland considered Canadian or English because he was born in England? I'm going to go ahead and say Canadian just because I'm going to claim him for Canada. Yeah. I think after 24, there's a certain subset of Americans who want to claim him for America. You have to yeah, say it like you that. can keep your grubby hands off Kiefer Sutherland. Of the Sutherlands. Sutherlands are ours. Okay, sure. <laughs> Donald over Kiefer. <laughs> Definitely Canadian. There's no murkiness of being born in the UK there. Although I guess it was still possibly the UK at the time he was born here. <laughs> Um, we Are you already... saying that Kiefer Sutherland is old? No, 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 Donald Sutherland. Okay. <laughs> He's old. Kaylee Bravo. <laughs> uh, we've already talked about Homeland, so the latest iteration being the Americans. Oh my god. That show is so wacky. Is it set speaking... in the 80s? It's set in the 80s, speaking of crazy-ass wigs and amazing disguises. I mean, here's here's the thing about the Americans, and it's sort of similar to my experience. Am I still here? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, I was waving my hands around again. Um, it's sort of similar to my experience of watching Enemy at the Gate, mm-hmm. um, which is a World War II movie about sniper versus sniper during the Battle of Stalingrad. And... You have the Soviet sniper, played by Jude Law, versus the Nazi sniper, played by Ed Harris. And it was really weird for me to be rooting for the Soviets. Because that's not how I grew up. I grew up at the tail end of the Cold War. Where the Soviets were the bad people, communists were scary, and we were all going to die. And then I was rooting for the Kami Reds, and it was weird. And it took me a while to sort of wrap my head around that. Um, And I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine, and she's like, well, it's better than rooting for the Nazis. And I'm like, yes, that is true, but that's not really the point I'm trying to explain to you right now. (laughs) (sighs) Um, That was a frustrating conversation. Anyway, um... So the Americans is about sleepers, Russian sleeper spies who are deeply embedded in America. Um, they've been planted there for years and years and years with false identities and false papers. And they speak perfect English and they never speak Russian outside anywhere ever. And they go on crazy ass missions and the CIA sort of has heard that they exist but can't really get any confirmation um and the show does a really good job of having you kind of rooting for the Russian spies against the US government (laughs) And I don't know if it's that 
I'm older and I'm sort of able to see how the American government is really kind of fucked up, especially in that era that the Reagan government versus the USSR is not as black and white as it was presented to me when I was a child in the 80s or what. But I just watched the season finale of season one uh, two hours ago and... I really, really, really didn't want them to get caught. I really didn't. And I knew they wouldn't because I knew there was a second season that probably did not involve torture and trial, but I really didn't want them to get caught. I kind of wanted them to win. It's a little awkward and weird. (laughs) But I really like the show. It's a lot of fun. Carrie Russell is... A much better actress than I would have expected from her from remembering Felicity. I I haven't seen the show yet. I've been thinking about checking it out. Um, I'm just hoping they do the Russian bit better because my last experience with it was actually an episode of Elementary uh-huh. where Sherlock Holmes figures out that um, like a family of uh, witnesses slash suspects are actually embedded Russian spies who were just kind of left here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he figures it out is he points out all little things he noticed about their behavior in the house, says like, well, these are Russian traditions. None of those things are Russian traditions. Like, not a single one of them is a thing I've heard of growing up or saw anybody doing. <laughs> so the episode just made me roll my eyes gigantically. <laughs> I, I think you're not going to worry about that, because um, generally the, the people who are not Russian actors. Don't ever speak Russian. Margot Martindale's in it. She's one of the handlers. She's amazing. <laughs> and uh, Matthew Reese plays Carrie Russell's husband. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it has actors I'm definitely interested in. Oh, yeah. but I can regale you guys with a real story of, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with spying, but with Russian habits that Westerners just kind of don't know of the result in the funny situation. My parents' neighbors, who are also Russian, uh, this was a few years ago, got robbed. Except when they weren't home, somebody broke into their house and, and and robbed them. Except they broke in, I guess, through the bedroom window. Or at the very least, they were in the bedroom because there was jewelry missing. And I guess the thieves were Canadian, at the very least not Russian, because they saw a rectangular package wrapped in newspaper on the nightstand and walked right by it because I guess they figured it's wrapped in a newspaper. It must be trash or like something important. It was a stack of money because that's how <laughs> Russians <laughs> keep okay. stacks of cash. It was literally just like a brick of something like $10,000 and it was then wrapped up in the newspaper to keep it safe. And it worked. <laughs> and the robbers walked right by it. So if anybody on the Americans does that, that's accurate. I mean, the point is, is that they they are not Russian at all. Um, there's a scene in the finale where Carrie Russell has been given a audio tape from her mother in Russia, mm-hmm. and her mother has seen pictures of her and her children, and. <sighs> It's just so sad because she's like, I'm so proud of you and your children are beautiful and I'm really sorry that I'm never going to meet my grandchildren, but you're doing what you do for Mother Russia. 
It's, it goes back to what we were talking about with the Russian movie, right? Like when you're a resident, and you don't get to yeah. see your family, and also how would you ever assimilate back into that life if it came yeah. down to it, and what would you even do with yourself? Yeah, and I think kind of the point is that they they're never expected to go back. They they will either keep doing this until they get caught. There's a brief discussion where the husband goes, look, we can defect. We can just walk away and defect and everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. And Carrie's like, are you fucking insane? (laughs) What is the matter with you? (laughs) Well, remember that big story that was in the news a few years ago about like actual Russian spies being rooted out in America and they've been there for God knows how long. Mm. That was a weird story. Yeah. Do you ever see Salt? No. Just in trailers. The Angelina Jolie movie, right? Yeah. Wasn't her husband a spy? Like, was that what it was? No, no. She was... She was plunked down. Like, her... Her family had been visiting somewhere in Europe. And Russia engineered a car accident that killed their kid. And she was plunked in in their in their kid's place as a deep deep sleeper agent Ooh. and was activated 20 30 years later like the logistics will make your head explode if you think about it too hard mm-hmm. um but they the russians had been killing people's kids and putting Russian kids who spoke perfect English and if they acted weird or out of place everyone would just put it up to the trauma of the car accident it's like the the Greenwich Cuckoos but the spies and Russians yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's a weird movie I enjoyed it but it's a weird movie. So there's a reason we've been talking about spies for whatever it is, an hour and a half now. And that reason is a recent stealth spy movie. It's a spy movie that you don't know is a spy movie until you're watching it. That being Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I think a few people might be fooled by the marketing going into it, not realizing they're about to watch a spy thriller. Because the marketing was very much, watch the helicarrier crash, big boom, flashing action. Flashing action. Chris Evans has abs. Mm, Chris Evans has everything. Yes, he does. <laughs> there, there are a lot of butts in that movie, and they're all good. Did you see the interview with um, Anthony Mackie admiring Chris Evans? Anthony... He is, he's a national treasure. Oh, he, I, I've, I've And loved... I think he is a fine addition to the Avengers family. Definitely. <laughs> he talked about one of the accidents he had on set going face first into a, a car when attempting one of his. Because he apparently he was very gone home about, I can do this. And like, you can, you can, we're going to drop you from very high. And he was like, no, it's, it's fine. And then they dropped him from very high. And he went face first into a car. And he was like, okay, my stuntman is awesome. <laughs> and he could do all this awesome stuff from now on. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was, I guess, this kind of spy thriller storyline back in the comics. Mm-hmm. So comic book readers, to me, symbolized by my coworker Peter, hi Peter, have been hoping that the movie would be a suitable of the suitable genre. 
and not default to a kind of glitzy action movie that and it didn't it really was a spy thriller um which i really enjoyed and i thought was pretty well done yeah it's kind of hilarious listening to pop culture happy hour talk about it and they're going well like how can you have robert redford and not think you're invoking three days of the condor and spy movies with that Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is no. That's exactly what they were doing. That yes, you you got the point. <laughs> it was right there. <laughs> that's yes. Very good. Good job, Stephen Thompson. Good job. I mean, this is a movie that really prominently features um, Scarlett Johansson's character, the Black Widow whose name is so silly that I still can't bear to actually say it out loud. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, which is all about being a spy. Mm. A Russian spy, uh, an American spy, a defector spy, being trained as a spy. Like that, that's, It's a spy movie. It's a spy movie. There's even wacky disguises. Kind of. If, you know, Captain America and the Black Widow dressed up as ridiculous hipsters. Counts. <laughs> So, yeah, the latest spy movie is the one that's out in theaters right now. And if you haven't seen it, but it's a really well done spy movie. So go see it. You won't regret it. No. And then go watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which has finally found its footing. It really has. You know, I'm glad I stuck with it because it has it has developed much better than it started. And it's obviously been entirely changed by the events of Captain America, which is something they knew was going to happen. I I read an interview where when the executive producers sat down with Kevin Feige, so I guess it was Marissa Tincheron and uh, Jed Whedon would have been in that meeting, and they were talking about making the show, and Kevin Feige was going, well, no, you you know what Captain America is going to do, right? And they're like, it's okay, let's work with this. We can do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, They're still, they're doing it. I mean, these latest episodes are still going through the after effects. Uh, But I now trust them to do so. Mm -hmm. Because they've, if you stick out the first six or so episodes, I guess now it it really hits a stride after that. Which I think make this all very happy. So I think we're wrapping up here. Yeah. We like spies. Keep making more. Make more movies about awesome women spies. Mm -hmm. And awesome spies of color. Because we don't have any... um, do we have any from a like Western movie? Um, hmm. I mean, uh, Maggie Q is a spy of color. A spy of color in the most recent. Well, okay, Agents of, of Shield. Some... some of them are Agents. Yeah. As well. Um. But yes, I mean, there's a reason people were going Idris Elba, James Bond. Yeah. Well, the I'm rumor totally... is that the next villain in the new Bond movie will be played by Chiotel Ejiofor, and all I can say is, why isn't he playing Bond? Mm. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Villains of color. Yay. So Yay. Oh, wow, we've never done that before. Oh, wait. <laughs> so, we hoped you enjoyed episode 19 of Anglophies. And the sacrificial avocado has done its spy job of ensuring a smooth recording session. Yay! We're going to find out that that avocado was working for the other side soon, aren't we? 
Yes. Undercover avocado. Under <laughs> undercover undercover avocado is my next pub to trivia team name. Undercavo. <laughs> so we'll see you next month. Same spy time, same spy channel. Bye. 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 You have been listening to Anglophies, a made of fail production.